Hey guys, have you ever struggled to understand the Bible? Welcome to the club. In today's podcast, I'm going to give you the five key questions that you need to ask yourself every time you open up the Bible, so that way you can stay on track, keep things in context, and come out with good interpretations. I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining us in this podcast. This is actually episode number three in a playlist I'm doing called Understanding the Bible 101. If you've missed those first two episodes, I will link them in the description below, or you can click on this card that's going to pop up right here on the screen if you're watching this on YouTube. Let's go ahead and jump into the podcast. And the first question is this. We need to understand who is speaking Not everything in the Bible is written to us from God's mouth. Sometimes the Bible actually records what other people say. And sometimes the Bible actually records when people say false things. So, for example, Psalms 14.1, the Bible actually says this, quote, there is no God. So if you just opened up the Bible and you read that passage and you said, well, the Bible says there's no God, you walk away and you might be an atheist. Now that's ridiculous. Of course it is. But people do this on a grand scale throughout the rest of the Bible. So when we turn to that passage and we ask ourselves, well, who is actually speaking? We see in the passage, it tells us, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we see there that the actual person speaking is the fool, because the wise man is the one who has considered the evidence and realizes that it's extremely compelling to say there is a God. So we need to understand the very first question to ask ourselves is, who is speaking? Even in the New Testament, we find that the Bible records men and women who say things, and the Bible doesn't always actually affirm what they're saying. So, for example, the Pharisees say in one part of the Scriptures, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. Clearly, the Bible teaches in the rest of the New Testament that when a sinner is seeking God and cries out to Him, God does hear him, and God wants that, and God will make Himself known to that person who is actually honestly trying to seek Him. But when we understand the original statement that I said in context, we realize it's the Pharisees are saying it, and they are just repeating their dogma. Their dogma is incorrect. The Bible doesn't affirm it. But we might think the Bible affirms it, only if we don't understand to ask ourselves the question, who is speaking? Okay, question number two. This one's also important. After we learn who is speaking, we need to ask ourselves, who's it speaking to? Imagine that you are a young man, and you're asking God, hey, Lord, I want some wisdom on seeking a wife. I'm looking to get married, and I want to find a good woman. And you just pop your Bible open to the book of Hosea, and you read chapter one, and right there in the very first couple verses, you read, Go marry a prostitute. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. And you go, okay, well, that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to go find myself a good prostitute to marry. Hear me. If you're a young man looking for a woman to marry, that's not what the Bible's saying. You need to understand who is speaking and who are they speaking to. So I'm going to give you the answer right here so you can understand why this applies and why it's important. God is speaking. He's speaking, though, to the prophet Hosea. He's not speaking directly to you and me. Now, what he's doing at this time is he's going to use Hosea as a living example to convict the nation of Israel to stop 
committing all of their sins. Here's what he's doing. The nation of Israel is gone far from God. Their heart's not tied to him. And God is going to portray himself as a husband. And Israel is his wife. But she's the unfaithful wife. She's the one who's gone out and chased after other gods. She's committed spiritual adultery on him. So God's using Hosea as a living example here of the relationship that he has with Israel. Hosea is going to represent God, and Hosea's wife, the prostitute, is going to do what she does. She's going to go be a prostitute, and she's going to represent Israel. And God's going to use that to show Israel, hey, look, I'm like Hosea. I'm the faithful husband who loves you, that even though you've gone astray and cheated on me and gone after these other gods, these other men, I'm still here. I still love you. I still want you. And I'm going to continually pursue you because I made a promise to you. That's important. So we don't misinterpret it and go off and marry prostitutes. Okay, question number three. This is a big one. There's a lot to it. So we're just going to have to hit it right at the surface. The question is, where am I reading in the Bible? This is important on so many levels. Level number one is this. The Bible actually makes a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God says to Jeremiah, the prophet, there is an old covenant, and I'm bringing a new covenant. And this new covenant is not going to be like the old one. It's going to be far superior in a lot of different ways. But what we learn very basically from this passage is that God is making a distinction between two different periods of time and two different ways that he's going to deal with people based off of two different types of covenants. Now, you and I live under the new covenant time. So we need to realize that what we read and what we refer to as the New Testament in the Bible is a little bit more directly applied to us than what we read in the Old Testament. Now, that's not to say that what we read in the Old Testament doesn't apply to Christians, or that we can't learn about God's character and His holiness and the moral character of God, what He wants from us, and things that He's done in history. But we have to do a little bit more interpretive work when we read the Old Testament to pull those principles out and see how they apply to us now as Christians, because, well, we live under a different covenant. Now, the second level and kind of how this, you know, question applies is to understand the Bible, even though it's one book, is actually made up of a bunch of different books. And all these books have different styles to them called genres. So you have historical books, you have poetic books, you have books that have a lot of allegories and figures in them, like Revelation or Ezekiel. You know, we get in Ezekiel the the chariot on fire riding on the clouds and the rainbow that's around it. And then we get in Revelation, the beast coming out of the sea and stars falling from the sky. That's a little bit different than when we read, let's say, 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. When you get to different parts of the Bible, different books of the Bible, you kind of need to have an overview of what's the sort of genre that this book generally leans itself to. And I get it, it gets a little bit more complicated than that because each book can kind of take on different genres depending on what section you are in that book. But for the most part, you can categorize a book as history or poetry or, you know, some sort of allegory. Now, another added feature to this is not just categorizing the books into different types of genre, but as we get into certain passages, understanding that the Bible's not meant to be read as some sort of wooden literalism. 
So as it says that the eyes of God go to and fro in the earth, it doesn't mean that God has eyes, and it doesn't mean that those eyes are actually going between different places on the earth physically. It just means that God sees everything. It's just trying to describe to us things that God is doing in language that we can comprehend. These different literary devices really aren't that difficult to try to think about because we use them in our literature today, and we use them in our language all the time. There are simple things like similes, metaphors, allegories, hyperboles, and my favorite, sarcasm. Yes, the Bible actually uses sarcasm. Now, there's a lot more features that the Bible uses than this. When we say we understand the Bible literally, what we mean by that is that we understand the Bible in the original context as it was meant to be understood by the original audience. So if something's meant to be poetic language, then we're going to understand it in poetic language. We're not going to try to take it to mean something always super literal. And if something is written in history format in a historical context, then we're not going to try to allegorize it into some sort of crazy parable. It's history. It actually really happened. Okay, question number four. Now, this one really helped me as I was reading in the Old Testament, and I was coming across certain things specifically in the law of Moses, and I was like, this makes no sense. Like, why would God have it to where the Israelites couldn't shave their temple to a certain length? Or they couldn't have certain markings on their bodies? Or they're not allowed to eat pork? I mean, come on, God. Bacon's pretty fantastic. Why would you outlaw that for such a long time? So the question is this. Are there certain cultural situations happening in this passage that I'm just unaware of? Now, that's so important because while the Bible is written for us, it's not written to us. What I mean by that is the Bible was written by people who lived a long time ago to people who lived a long time ago. Now, clearly it's for us because it's from God, and it's going to have principles that apply to us throughout all of time. I get that. But we need to first put ourselves in the original context. There are going to be a lot of things that you're just not going to know right off the bat when you read the Bible because, well, you're not familiar with the ancient history or the context of whatever that civilization was going through. When you read things in the Old Testament, specifically in the Law of Moses, like I'm referring to, that the Israelites were going into a land that was possessed by the Canaanites who had their own religion and their own cultural norms. And God's trying to keep these two nations from intermingling and intermarrying because he needs Israel to stay pure, to stay true to him spiritually, but also be a nation who's going to be pure to bring forth the Messiah. In order to do this, God's got to create cultural boundaries so the Israelites and the Canaanites not only don't intermarry, but they don't create a bunch of business transactions together and form a bunch of partnerships and then continue to just live together. God wants them separated because he wants Israel to be distinct and holy. So as you're reading through these passages, just understand there's probably a lot of historical things that you're just unaware of that when you become aware of them, these passages will become a lot more clear to you. Question number five. This is one we always need to get to, and that is, what is the universal principle here that I need to apply to myself? Because it's not just about reading the Bible for information. We are reading the Bible for transformation. 
That is, we want the Word of God to get inside of us so that we can become the sort of man or woman that God wants us to be. It's really easy in certain passages when the Bible says you are to love one another because God loved you first. Well, that's a very clear universal principle that we know is written directly to us. We don't have to jump into a different historical context and understand a lot of other things that are going on and dig really deep to figure that out. We just know right off the bat God's God of love. He showed us love. Therefore, we're to love one another. But with other passages, like I was describing with the prophet Hosea, we have to understand the historical context. We got to do some digging. And then once we figure out exactly what's going on in the entire scope of that book or that passage in that context, we can look at that and say, okay, God is the faithful husband, and we as humans generally tend to stray from him. But he's there, he's faithful, he's patient, and he loves us, and he wants us to come back, and he will always be willing to accept us if we're willing to come back to him. Now, the universal principle is this. When I find myself straying from God, I don't need to think about God as an angry person who just wants to get at me. No, God's the God who loves me and who's ready to accept me back, and he, he wants me back as soon as I'm willing to forsake the way that is against him. So at the end of the day, we always need to reach this question. What is that universal principle that I need to apply to my life so that I can become the man or woman God wants me to be? Okay, guys, those are the five key questions I'm giving you to ask yourself every time you read the Bible, so hopefully you understand it better. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Make sure to hit that like button, subscribe to the channel so you don't miss anything else. Here's a couple other videos for you. If you like this one, hopefully you'll like those as well. I'll see you on the next podcast.